Section 36 of The Naval Officer or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Asterix. The Naval Officer or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay by Captain Frederick Marriott chapter twenty nine with sorrow and repentance true father i trembling come to you song i arrived at the town where poor eugenia had breathed her last and near to which was the cemetery in which her remains were deposited i went to the inn whence after having dismissed my post-boy and ordered my luggage to be taken up to my room i proceeded on foot towards the spot I was informed that the path lay between the church and the bishop's palace. I soon reached it, and, inquiring for the sexton, who lived in a cottage hard by, requested he would lead me to a certain grave, which I indicated by tokens too easily known. "'Oh, you mean the sweet young lady as died of grief from the loss of her little boy? There it is,' continued he, pointing with his finger. The white peacock is now sitting on the headstone of the grave, and the little boy is buried beside it. I approached, while the humble sexton kindly withdrew, that I might, without witnesses, indulge that grief which he saw was the burthen of my aching heart. The bird remained, but without dressing its plumage, without the usual air of surprise and vigilance evinced by domestic fowls when disturbed in their haunts. This poor creature was moulting, its feathers were rumpled and disordered, its tail ragged. There was no beauty in the animal, which was probably only kept as a variety of the species, and it appeared to me as if it had been placed there as a lesson to myself. In its modest attire, in its melancholy and pensive attitude, it seemed, with its gaudy plumage, to have dismissed the world and its vanities while in mournful silence it surveyed the crowded mementos of eternity. "'This is my office, not thine,' said I, apostrophizing the bird, which, alarmed at my near approach, quitted its position, and disappeared among the surrounding tombs. I sat down, and fixing my eyes on the name which the tablet bore, ran over, in a hurried manner all that part of my career which had been more immediately connected with the history of eugenia i remembered her many virtues her self-devotion for my honour and happiness her concealing herself from me that i might not blast my prospects in life by continuing an intimacy which she saw would end in my ruin her firmness of character her disinterested generosity and the refinement of attachment which made her prefer misery and solitude to her own gratification in the society of the man she loved she had alas but one fault and that fault was loving me i could not drive from my thoughts that it was through my unfortunate and illicit connection with her that i had lost all that made life dear to me at this moment and not once since the morning i awoke from it my singular dream recurred to my mind 
the thoughts which never had once during my eventful voyage from the bahamas to the cape and thence to england presented themselves in my waking hours must certainly have possessed my brain during sleep why else should it never have occurred to my rational mind that the connection with eugenia would certainly endanger that intended with emily it was eugenia that placed emily in mourning out of my reach and as it were on the top of the ninepin rock here then my dream was explained and i now felt all the horrors of that reality which i thought at the time was no more than the effect of a disordered imagination yet i could not blame eugenia the poor girl had fallen a victim to that deplorable and sensual education which i had received in the cockpit of a man-of-war i i alone was the culprit she was friendless and without a parent to guide her youthful steps she fell victim to my ungoverned passions maddened with anguish of head and heart i threw myself violently on the grave i beat my miserable head against the tombstones i called with frantic exclamation on the name of eugenia and at length sank on the turf between the two graves in a state of stupor and exhaustion from which a copious flood of tears in some measure relieved me i was aroused by the sound of wheels and the trampling of horses and looking up i perceived the bishop's carriage and four with outriders passed by the livery and colour of the carriage were certainly what is denominated quiet but there was an appearance of state which indicated that the owner had not entirely renounced the pomps and vanities of this wicked world and my spleen was excited i sweep along i bitterly muttered worthy type indeed of the apostles i like the pride that apes humility is that the way you teach your flock to leave all and follow me i started up suddenly saying to myself i will seek out this man at his palace and see whether i shall be kindly received and consoled or be repulsed by a menial the thought was sudden and being conceived almost in a state of frenzy was instantly executed let me try said i whether a bishop can administer to the mind diseased as well as a country curate i moved on with rapidity to the palace more in a fit of desperation than with a view of seeking peace of mind i rang loudly and vehemently at the gate and asked whether the bishop was at home an elderly domestic who seemed to regard me with astonishment answered in the affirmative and desired me to walk into an anteroom while he announced me to his master i now began to recall my scattered senses which had been wandering and to perceive the absurdity of my conduct i was therefore about to quit the palace into which i had so rudely intruded without waiting for my audience when the servant opened the door and requested me to follow him by what inscrutable means are the designs of providence brought about while i thought i was blindly following the impulse of passion i was in fact guided by unerring wisdom a prey to desperate and irritated feelings i anticipated with malignant pleasure that i should detect hypocrisy that one who ought to set an example should be weighed by me and found wanting instead of which i stumbled on my own salvation 
where i expected to meet with pride and scorn i met with humility and kindness when i had looked around on the great circle bounded by the visible horizon and could perceive no friendly port in which i might lay my shattered vessel behold it was close at hand i followed the servant with a kind of stupid indifference and was ushered into the presence of a benevolent-looking old man between sixty and seventy years of age his whole external appearance as well as his white hairs commanded respect amounting almost to admiration i was not prepared to speak which he perceived and kindly began as you are a stranger to me i fear from your careworn countenance that it is no common occurrence which has brought you here sit down you seem in distress and if it is in my power to afford you relief you may be assured that i will do so there was in his manner and address an affectionate kindness which overcame me i could neither speak nor look at him but laying my head on the table and hiding my face with my hands i wept bitterly the good bishop allowed me reasonable time to recover myself and with extreme good breeding mildly requested that if it were possible i would confide to him the cause of my affliction be not afraid or ashamed my good lad said he to tell me your sorrows if we have temporal blessings we do not forget that we are but the almoners of the lord we endeavour to follow his example but if i may judge from appearance it is not pecuniary aid you have come to solicit no no replied i it is not money that i want but choked with excess of feeling i could say no more this is indeed a more important case than one of mere bodily want said the good man that we might very soon supply but there seems something in your condition which requires our more serious attention i thank the almighty for selecting me to this service and with his blessing we shall not fail of success then going to the door he called to a young lady who i afterwards found was his daughter and holding the door ajar as he spoke that i might not be seen in my distress said caroline my dear write to the duke and beg him to excuse my dining with him to-day tell him that i am kept at home by business of importance and give orders that i be not interrupted on any account he then turned the key in the door and drawing a chair close to mine begged me in the most persuasive manner to tell him everything without reserve in order that he might apply such a remedy as the case seemed to demand i first asked for a glass of wine which was instantly brought he received it at the door and gave it to me with his own hand having drank it i commenced the history of my life in a brief outline and ultimately told him all nearly as much in detail as i have related it to the reader he listened to me with an intense and painful interest questioning me as to my feelings on many important occasions and having at length obtained from me an honest and candid confession without any extenuation my young friend said he your life has been one of peculiar temptation and excess much to deplore much to blame and much to repent of 
but the state of feeling which induced you to come to me is a proof that you now only require that which with god's help i trust i shall be able to supply it is now late and we both of us require some refreshment i will order in dinner and you must send to the inn for your portmanteau perceiving that i was about to answer i must take no denial resumed he you have placed yourself under my care as your physician and you must follow my prescriptions my duty is as much more important compared to the doctor's as the soul is to the body dinner being served he dismissed the servants as soon as possible and then asked me many questions relative to my family all of which i answered without reserve he once mentioned Miss Somerville, but I was so overcome that he perceived my distress, and filling me a glass of wine, changed the subject. If I thought that any words of mine could do justice to the persuasive discourses of this worthy bishop, I would have benefited the world by making them public. But I could not do this, and I trust that none of my readers will have so much need of them as I had myself i shall therefore briefly state that i remained in the palace ten days in the most perfect seclusion every morning the good bishop dedicated two or three hours to my instruction and improvement he put into my hands one or two books at a time with marks in them indicating the pages which i ought to consult he would have introduced me to his family but this i begged for a time to decline being too much depressed and out of spirits and he indulged me in my request of being allowed to continue in the apartments allotted to me on the seventh morning he came to me and after a short conversation informed me that business would require his absence for two or three days and that he would give me a task to employ me during the short time he should be gone he then put into my hand a work on the sacrament this said he i am sure you will read with particular attention so that on my return i may invite you to the feast i trembled as i opened the book fear not mr mildmay said he i tell you from what i see of your symptoms that the cure will be complete having said this he gave me his blessing and departed he returned exactly at the end of three days and after a short examination said he would allow me to receive the sacrament and that the holy ceremony should take place in his own room privately well knowing how much affected i should be he brought in the bread and wine and having consecrated and partaken of them himself agreeably to the forms prescribed he made a short extempore prayer on my behalf when he had done this he advanced towards me and presented the bread my blood curdled as i took it in my mouth and when i had tasted the wine the type of the blood of that saviour whose wounds i had so often opened afresh in my guilty career and yet upon the merits of which i now relied for pardon i felt a combined sensation of love gratitude and joy a lightness and buoyancy of spirits as if i could have left the earth below me disburthened of a weight that had till then crushed me to the ground i felt that i had faith that i was a new man and that my sins were forgiven and dropping my head on the side of the table i remained some minutes in grateful and fervent prayer the service being ended i hastened to express my acknowledgments to my venerable friend 
i am but the humble instrument my dear young friend said the bishop let us both give thanks to the almighty searcher of hearts let us hope that the work is perfect for then you will be the occasion of joy in heaven and now continued he let me ask you one question do you feel in that state of mind that you could bear any affliction which might befall you without repining i trust sir answered i that i could bear it not only cheerfully but thankfully and i now acknowledge that it is good for me that i have been in trouble then all is right said he and with such feelings i may venture to give you this letter which i promised the writer to deliver with my own hand as soon as my eye caught the superscription gracious heaven exclaimed i it is from my emily even so said the bishop i tore it open it contained only six lines which were as follows our mutual kind friend the bishop has proved to me how proud and how foolish i have been forgive me dear frank for i too have suffered much and come as soon as possible to your ever affectionate emily this then was the object of the venerable bishop's absence bending beneath age and infirmity he had undertaken a journey of three hundred miles in order to ensure the temporal as well as eternal welfare of a perfect stranger to effect a reconciliation without which he saw that my worldly happiness was incomplete i was afterwards informed that notwithstanding the weight of his character and holy office he had found emily more decided in her rejection than he had anticipated and it was not until he had sharply rebuked her for her pride and unforgiving temper that she could be brought to listen with patience to his arguments but having at length convinced her that the tenure of her own hopes depended on her forgiveness of others she relented acknowledged the truth of his remarks and her undiminished affection for me while she made this confession she was in the same position before the bishop that i was when i received her letter on my knees and in tears he gave me his hand raised me up and now my young friend said he let me give you one caution i hope and i trust that your repentance is sincere if it be not the guilt must rest on your head but i trust in god that all is as it should be i will not therefore detain you any longer you must be impatient to be gone refreshment is prepared for you my horses will take you the first stage have you funds sufficient to carry you through for it is a long journey as my old bones can testify i assured him that i was sufficiently provided and expressing my thanks for his kindness wished that it was in my power to prove my gratitude put me to the test my lord said i if you possibly can well then replied he i will when the day for your union with miss somerville is fixed allow me to have the pleasure of joining your hands should it please god to spare me so long i have removed the disease but i must trust to somebody else to watch and prevent a relapse and believe me my dear friend however well inclined a man may be to keep in the straight path he gains no little support from the guidance and example of a lovely and virtuous woman i promised readily all he asked and having finished a slight lunch again shook hands with the worthy prelate 
jumped into my carriage and drove off i travelled all night and the next day was in the society of those i loved and who had ever loved me in spite of all my perverseness and folly a few weeks after emily and i were united by the venerable bishop who with much emotion gave us his benediction and as the prayer of the righteous man availeth much i felt that it was recorded in our favour in heaven mr somerville gave the bride away my father with talbot and clara were present and the whole of us after all my strange vicissitudes were deeply affected at this reconciliation and union End of chapter twenty nine recorded by Asterix End of the Naval Officer or Scenes in the Life and Adventures of Frank Mildmay by Captain Frederick Marriott